These days, healthcare and safety are top of mind, and many are overwhelmed and looking for answers. Welcome to Healthcare Corner with host Gavin Wiswell, licensed nursing home administrator and subject matter expert in reducing hospital readmissions, along with co-hosts Ed Nahara, emergency medical services director and trainer, and board certified in family medicine, Dr. Guillermo Castillo. Join them as they use their years of experience to bring you the most relevant topics that can help you and your loved ones feel safer and more informed about what's going on in healthcare. You'll also hear from other experts about the latest healthcare technology and what's important for you. If you have questions, Healthcare Corner has answers. Send your questions to info at hcshow.net. That's info at hcshow.net. It's time for Healthcare Corner with Gavin, Edward, and Dr. Castillo. Welcome to the Healthcare Corner, everybody. And uh, today is going to be another great episode. Um, we've been talking a lot about uh, recently wellness and healthcare, uh, alternative types of medicine. And today, I think along those lines, we've got a really wonderful guest and, and topic about uh, orthobiologics. And so before we get into that, Ed, Guillermo, how are we doing today? I'm doing great. It's good to see you guys. I know it's been a long week. It feels like it's been almost a month since I've seen your faces, but you know, I know it's only been seven days. I don't know why this week's just dragged on for me, but I'm happy to be here. Glad to have you, buddy. And you, Ed? Absolutely happy to be here and uh, looking forward to this uh, topic. I think a lot of people are going to learn something today, uh, probably uh, ourselves as well, but uh, hopefully our listeners do. Certainly, Ed. I think that's the case, and we're glad you're here as the ombudsman to make sure that we're we're staying on the straight and narrow. So, um, you, when we're talking about orthobiologics, I think um, you know there, a better or another term for that is regenerative medicine. You've got uh, a lot of different terms and different types of of surgeries, and and I know Guillermo, we've talked a lot about uh, some people not even wanting to get surgery because of the risk of surgery. So. Um, I think with the advancement of technology, today's show should bring to light a lot of uh, different aspects that are out there. Yeah, and I, I get a lot of questions, especially in my field, you know, in primary care of uh, people who have had joint issues or, or injuries, and they come and they say, you know, well, these are my options. I mean, one doctor's telling me, hey, you need surgery. Another doctor's saying, well, maybe just physical therapy. And, you know, there's a lot of options in between or maybe adjunct therapies all right, that can be very beneficial and maybe delaying or, or maybe not needing surgery or, or maybe you need surgery, but maybe you need to get faster. You get better faster and get back to your normal activities. So today it's going to be very exciting to learn about all these different options. Absolutely. And with that, we're going to also uh, learn about what types of injuries can be treated. Regenex and uh, Dr. Centeno and, and his work there. Also, if we can cure arthritis, that's really a question that I'm excited to answer on the show today, or at least get some better understanding on. And um, also, um, how do you track uh, patient outcomes with uh, this uh, sort of um, therapy? And so uh, with us today, we have a, a very special guest, Dr. Stephen Darrington, who is the owner of uh, Darrington Orthopedics and CEO. And so he, uh, his company, Darrington Orthopedics Interventional Sports and Spine, uh, is out of Oceanside, California, and uh, he continues to um, work with other physicians like orthopedic surgeons and others to educate and train them uh, as an expert instructor for interventional ortho orthobiologic uh, interventions. And so uh, Dr. Darrington has published papers and textbook chapters uh, on the subject, spine procedures, tendon disorders, and ultrasound guided injection techniques. So we're incredibly excited to have Dr. Darrington with us today to talk about this uh, very important topic. So welcome to the show, Dr. Darrington. Thanks very much for the introduction. Uh, pleasure to be here, guys. Happy to, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Excellent. So let's let's hop into it. Um, why did you decide to go into orthobiologics and, and, and uh, help people in a, in a different way? It's a great question. I'll try to keep it brief because there's a kind of a long journey that that uh, that came about from. Um, but uh, so kind of a little basic uh, background. Um, my uh, my primary training. I'm an osteopath. I'm a, I'm a uh, doctor of osteopathy, uh, and basically we look at uh, health a little bit differently. Uh, oftentimes, tends to be more uh, holistic, more comprehensive, uh, and trying to harness the body's ability to heal itself. Um, and that sometimes can be hard to do by itself. So augmenting that can be something that can provide some additional benefit. Um, my residency training is in something called physical medicine and rehabilitation. 
which treats all kinds of disorders, neurologic and, and orthopedic and other musculoskeletal issues. Uh, and the main goal is to get people as functional as possible, whatever their persistent limitations are, or getting them back to hopefully 100%. Um, so I didn't really know that this field existed when I chose those different pathways, but it really led me very naturally to this specific field here where I'm harnessing the body's normal ability to heal, uh, without the use of steroid injections and, and ideally without the use of surgery. Excellent. I know it's so important to av avoid surgery if we can. Um, yeah, Guillermo, what, what, what thoughts do you have for Dr. Darrington? Well, I mean, I mean, I always thought that physical medicine and rehab was actually a pretty. When I was going through training many years ago, you know, I thought it was probably <laughs> one of the 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 more intriguing uh, fields to me because I felt that there was something that that was a field where you could actually implement some good procedures to actually you know actually get better outcomes, which is sometimes difficult to see in traditional medicine. You know, it's difficult when you treat a diabetic or a hypertensive or a heart failure patient to really see great outcomes. It takes sometimes a lifetime and then so you don't see them get better but i think with like you said with physical medicine and rehab and specifically your skill set you can actually go after people's you know um, issues that are actually keep limiting or giving them limitations that are affecting their quality of life and actually see them get better you know so from from my standpoint is just like you know uh one of the biggest issues you know in primary medicine like i said is when do you see the right person so i mean we'd like to get into it here as we get into the show is you know, when, when we have patients who have some of these joint disorders or maybe spine disorders, when is the right time for the primary to say, hey, it's time to send them to you, right? Physical medicine and rehab, somebody who can do your procedures. And, and when is it time to really consider a surgeon? You know, because most of the time people are like, hey, I don't want to go see a surgeon because, you know, surgeons, they cut. That's what they do. Why would they suggest anything else? <laughs> and maybe that's not always the case, but I think, you know, making that distinction and having our listeners know when's the right time to see each one of those specialties would be, you know, even that would just be a great benefit. Sure. So I, mean, I think I'm probably a little bit biased being a, a, a physiatrist, physical medicine, rehabilitation, PM&R, those all mean the same thing. Um, but, you know, getting into the hands of somebody who can help you get into the direction of physical therapy or using other non-surgical, non-procedural modalities, and then, you know, potentially trying other conservative things prior to getting in front of the surgeon. Because, you know, the, yeah, the stereotype is surgeons cut. That's what they like to do. And you go to their office and you've got something that could be surgical. They're going to say, let's do surgery. I mean, not that often, you know, I think there's plenty of good surgeons that are more conservative than that. But, um, you know, I think going in front of the person who's going to do the ultimate most invasive procedure first is a little bit backwards. Um, so there's a lot of things you can do conservatively um, prior to doing even any injections with something like what I do um, that oftentimes helps a large percentage of people and you don't even have to go to that next step. You know, so maybe you could start here. Tell us uh, what is the most, the, the typical patient, what's the most common condition that you see in your office nowadays? Uh, most common thing I see is either degenerative arthritis in the knee uh, or general spine degeneration as we get older. Yeah, and is that typically all age groups or do you see one, you know, older or middle age or do you see? So both of those tend to be in patients as we get older and depending on history, sometimes that older might only be in their 40s. Um, and so, so that kind of population tends to be a little bit older, tends to be an accumulation of injuries, whether or not they were even aware of them or had limitations. Some of them played sports. Some of them sat around and didn't do anything, but they still had this degeneration um, that, um, that progressed over their life. Um, so I, I've always kind of explained that patients that I see are either that category that are getting older and having an accumulation of small injuries turning into something that's bigger and more limiting, uh, and then I see the, the, the younger, more, uh, more acute injuries, which could be anything from teenagers and 20-year-olds, professional athletes, weekend warriors that just are having more acute soft tissue kind of injuries uh, that haven't been plaguing them as long and maybe not be as, as complex, but still giving them a lot of functional limitations that they're looking to recover from. That's great. So when you see somebody now comes in with, say, you know, chronic knee pain, and are they coming to you from you know their own volition, like they found you, or is it are they being referred by by a primary care specialist? Uh, a lot of times they're coming in because they've you know found me through word of mouth from maybe their physical therapist or a friend of the, they know that had similar issues uh, and are coming in that way. Um, more and more uh, primary care docs are sending uh, patients to me as they become aware of what we do. Um, but you know as we go through training, you know years and years ago, I think for both of us now, um, <laughs> you know the. the the options were a little bit different. It used to be, well, let's just do cortisone shots, and when those stop working, send them to surgery. 
And there's so many things in between there. And if you're not even aware that those things exist, it's hard to recommend somebody to go to see that person. So um, when I've dealt with physiatrists at a skilled nursing level, it was usually to help our therapists really understand the patient better and then help them to continue to have a reason to see the patient in our skilled nursing uh, environment. But I think you brought up a great point earlier. There are probably many proactive ways uh, for you to be able to um, maybe, maybe see that degeneration a couple years in advance or in advance and say, hey, if you just do one or two of, of these uh, items each day, whether it be sleep or food or, or what have you, um, what would be maybe one or two things that you would tell our listeners? Yeah, I mean, those are those are huge points. Those are things that I, as, as part of my evaluation with every patient, I spend a lot of time talking about nutrition and talking about sleep and talk about activity and talking about weight management. And those are, are, are things that no matter how good the treatment that I could do is, are not going to be as good as it could be if someone had the rest of those things in line. Um, so the sooner someone could come see someone like me to be able to get that comprehensive evaluation and really see all the different factors that play into their health, um, they're going to do they're going to do a whole lot better uh, and potentially avoid surgery down the road and maybe even pr- uh, avoid procedures with me because they've taken care of those other things. Guillermo, did you pay him off to say that? Uh, it's he sounds like you when talking right. about sleep and pain and all that great stuff. The, the greatest part about that is we don't have to. Right? I mean, it's right. it's obvious now in in all fields of medicine that without actually you know, uh, going after all those underlying factors. Because we, as we talked about, remember on the show last week, we said in order to develop any disease, there, it's almost like a recipe. You have to have, say, maybe the genetic predisposition. Somebody, Some people say yes or no or family history. And then you need to have all those environmental stressors and maybe injuries and all those things that actually lead you down that path to develop that disease. You know, you can't affect your family history. You can't affect your genomics, but you can definitely do something about the environment, right? And a lot of it is exactly what we eat, how we sleep. And it's funny, it keeps coming back with every single disease that we've talked about so far. It's the same formula, right? If you want to, if you want to avoid heart disease, you can, you can also avoid uh, maybe, you know, joint deterioration, right? Need spine deterioration. Hey, guess what? You're carrying too much weight and you're just putting too much strain on your joints, Right? It's the same thing on your heart. You're just putting too much strain on your heart because of that excess weight. So, yeah, it's, it's amazing. I didn't have to pay him. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I know you didn't, Guillermo. Not at all. And so as we're wrapping up this segment, I want to remind our listeners that you can visit us at hcshow.net. Send us an email at info at hcshow.net. Or you can text questions to Dr. Castillo at 760-237-8071. And continue with us and Dr. Darrington as we continue talking about orthobiologics. There's more healthcare information that you can use to keep you and your loved ones feeling safer when Healthcare Corner returns on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back to Healthcare Corner, keeping you informed about what's going on in the healthcare industry. Get your healthcare questions answered by sending an email to info at hcshow.net. That's info at hcshow.net. Now, here's Gavin, Edward, and Dr. Castillo for Healthcare Corner. Welcome back to the Healthcare Corner. And today we have Dr. Darrington uh, with us as our guest talking about orthobiologics and what are they and what types uh, and categories they are. Obviously, uh, there are so many different types of ailments out there. And so to think that there's one way to heal many different types of of problems uh, would be, I think, myopic. And so I think for this segment, we want to really get into what are the different types of of orthobiologics out there and and categories and and, and how they can be applied. So uh, with that, uh, Dr. Darrington, what, what would be the major categories? Yeah, so uh, I think we kind of talked back and forth a little bit about regenerative medicine and orthobiologics. Um, it's kind of important to first draw that distinction where this field used to really be called regenerative medicine, and we used to think that we could regenerate all kinds of stuff. But you know, the, the follow-up imaging after procedures, even when patients are very, very happy, doesn't show that all the time. It can in some instances, but uh, a more appropriate term was orthobiologics, so basically using biological stimulus of some kind from platelets, from different cells in our body, to... Uh, to lead to some improvement in an orthopedic issue. Um, and there's several different categories within there. If we're sticking to orthobiologics, we'll, I'll, I'll kind of mention, but this doesn't fall into the category, uh, something called prolotherapy, uh, which has been around since the 1950s. It's actually hypertonic dextrose or concentrated sugar water. 
creates some inflammation and kind of starts that healing process that our body is struggling to do for whatever that area is. Um, PRP uh, or platelet-rich plasma is the one that people first talk about when we're mentioning orthobiologics. Um, so platelets are some of the cells that are in our blood. There's also red cells and white cells, but the platelets, you can kind of think of them like the EMS systems, like the first responders. Inside of them, there are growth factors and cytokines of different signaling uh, chemicals that our body uses all the time. Anytime you cut your skin, the platelets uh, stop the bleeding and they release those growth factors and initiate that healing response where a big gash that you had within a few weeks goes away and you barely see the scar there. Um, uh, so those can be useful for a lot of tendon problems, uh, a lot of arthritis problems, especially early to moderate arthritis. Um, as things get to be a little bit more advanced, that's usually when other kinds of uh, cellular-based therapies uh, are introduced, uh, and that could either come from the bone marrow or it could come from adipose or fat. Um, both of those um, oftentimes are called stem cell procedures. Uh, can be a little bit of a misnomer because um, really for the stem cell, it's more of the basic science kind of research-based where you can culture and grow those cells in a Petri dish in a laboratory environment. We know those kind of cells are in those different tissues, um, but you can't say for sure in that, tr in that um, clinical environment without uh, actually plating those cells and growing them. Um, so cellular therapy is probably a better way to, to talk about it, even though patients come to me all the time and asking for stem cells. So there's a little bit of the kind of semantic back and forth and a little bit of education about it. Um, but those kind of things uh, can be helpful for a lot of orthopedic issues as well, tends to be for more advanced problems. Um, you know, bigger soft tissue injuries like rotator cuff tears, uh, meniscus tears, uh, even more advanced arthritis. Um, so, so those are kind of the main ones that are coming from you, meaning autologous. Um, and there's a whole other category um, where they're coming from somebody else. So that could be umbilical or amniotic tissue, membranes, fluid, uh, different things there. Uh, and those have a lot of uh, potential, um, but there's, there's been some issues with how those kind of products are marketed and discussed. Um, and the people that tend to, well, some people that use those products don't really understand them and mismarket them and don't give appropriate expectations because there's a lot of times limited data uh, on them. Um, so it gets a little bit muddy as we get into kind of the whole breadth of, of what could be available. You know, you bring up a good point about, you know, autologous versus something that comes from somewhere autologous, meaning that it's your own cells, right? So maybe just for our audience, tell them, okay, if it's PRP and their platelets, how are those extracted? So just so they know they're not like, hey, freaking out, right? So... Yeah, so, so, you know, because it's our blood, it, it just comes from a normal blood draw, just like any kind of lab work you're getting or if you were to donate blood. Uh, it's just a simple simple blood draw, um, and they withdraw a, an appropriate amount of blood based on the area to be treated. Um, so you have just that one needle poke, in, you know, usually in your arm, um, you know, fairly painless procedure. Um, so that's where that comes from. And then, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but then that is, you know, spun down in a centrifuge, separates those platelets from those white and red blood cells, and then that's what's Exactly. Used, right? There's different protocols to, right. to process that a little bit differently, but yeah, the, the very simple thing is you put it in a centrifuge, spin it really fast, and those different uh, blood components separate out into the different layers. Um, most places that are offering PRP are going to buy a kit from a commercial vendor um, that has a proprietary way to process it, and it makes some version of PRP. Some of those are decent. Some are honestly, uh, there's actually, there's, there's some that are not even platelet-rich plasma. The platelet concentration ends up being less than what's normally in our blood. Um, so some of them are just low quality. Some are pretty good. Um, I actually have a person whose job it is to manually process whatever I give them, whether it's blood uh, or bone marrow or adipose, um, and we centrifuge, so you still separate out those different layers, but there's a sterile hood where he's doing processing, where he's able to adjust the concentration, sometimes to very high concentrations, uh, sometimes to variable concentrations, depending on which different structures I'm injecting. Um, so I might be asking for three or four or five different types of PRP and concentrations of PRP to inject in someone's shoulder or knee. Wow. So can that procedure be done all on the same day? Do they do the extraction and the injections, everything in one day? Exactly, yeah. Uh, that process, if you're using a, a bed-sized kit, uh, that can be ready in 20, 30 minutes. Uh, the way that we process takes a little bit longer, so it's typically an hour, hour and a half of a downtime in between the blood draw to the injection. Okay, and now, now to differentiate that between, say, like you said, the, the cell therapy that comes from your adipose tissue with fat tissue or 
your bone marrow. Can you explain to our audience what that means and you know what that extraction looks like? Sure. So, so those extractions are obviously a little bit different. Um, it's uh, I, I always take my bone marrow from the posterior iliac crest, which is basically the back part of the of the pelvis. I don't like to use the word hip because people think that's my hip. I've had my hip replaced. How can you do that? Uh, it's basically the back part of the pelvis, which is a reservoir that has a lot of bone marrow in it. Uh, it's very safe and easy to access. Um, and it's an area that is typically tolerated uh, pretty well. Patients, uh, you know, may have known somebody that had uh, had to get a bone marrow biopsy for some medical condition. Uh, I can tell you that I've had I, I had a lady uh, several years ago now whose husband uh, had had uh, blood cancer and had to get a transplant, and she remembers the process being very uncomfortable for him. She could hear him down the hall. Uh, after her procedure with me, she's like, "That was nothing like <laughs> what he went through. I don't know what was so different." Um, so, you know, the anesthetic works really well. It makes that a pretty tolerated procedure. Um, similar for the adipose aspiration, um, that can be done from a couple different places on the body. Um, but with good anesthetic, people tolerate both of those procedures pretty well. Um, has some little bit of kind of soreness and achiness and kind of bruisey, achy feeling for a few days, but typically, uh, that procedure itself is tolerated well. Um, and then that procedure is completed, uh, later on that same day, it's gotta be, uh, re-injected within 24 hours, typically within, within a couple hours. Um, and, uh, yeah, once things are prepared, um, using image guidance to, to do those procedures very accurate, very, um, precisely and accurately. So Dr. Darrington, how do you decide whether to use one versus the other? Uh, that's a great question. And, and there's, um, you know, there's some general guidelines as far as, um, the, the severity of the disease, the body area that's being affected, um, that can help to, to guide that, but it really comes together from, uh, the whole, the whole presentation of the patient and what their, what their injuries are, what their symptoms are, uh, what the imaging shows and what their goals are. So on the healthcare corner, we love for our, our uh, audience to be better consumers of healthcare information. And, um, because this is, uh, you know, outside of the norm, I, I'd love to talk really quickly, uh, just about, um, is this a covered benefit, um, the cost and, and I, as you mentioned, the different qualities of, uh, you know, the, the number of cells that you have and all of that, um, you know, is there a different cost? Let's say if you're pulling out more, uh, I, I guess platelets out of one drawer or another and, and, and how maybe the economics, uh, works a little bit. Sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so these are not currently, uh, almost exclusively, they're not covered, uh, by insurances. Um, TRICARE is actually covering, uh, for tennis elbow and for early knee arthritis. Um, there's, as we were talking earlier off, off camera, there's a lot of, uh, studies comparing PRP to several different, uh, very, you know, common procedures like steroids and hyaluronic acid injections for knee arthritis, um, showing really good benefits, but it's still not covered for several different reasons. Um, so the, the cost of these treatments can vary, uh, anywhere from, you know, several hundred dollars to several thousand dollars. Um, depends on the body area being treated, the specific injury, the complexity, um, and then where you're, where you're getting your treatment from. Um, and some of that does come down to, um, you know, is how is someone doing this preparation? What's their sophistication? How well, you know, how well versed are they in this area? Are they kind of dabbling in this while they do several other treatments or is this something that they really focus on? Yeah. So the fact that the, you know, the, the patients have to pay for it themselves, you know, that would, is probably a big deterrent. But, you know, I mean, when somebody's suffering and they're really hurting, obviously, they, most people will be willing to do just about anything. So just for our listeners out there, and, that, and if that's the case, if they're going to do, who would be or what type of patient would be the the, mo, the best qualified or, or get the most benefit from, from these types of procedures? And at what point in that disease process? Yes. I mean, so in general, the earlier you can, uh, can identify something and treat something, it's more likely to, uh, to improve. Um, but really anybody that's looking to avoid surgery, uh, you know, can be a reasonable candidate. Um, one of the things that we might have time to talk about is a, re as a registry, uh, where you're basically collecting data pa on patients that were treated in the past. And that gives you a lot of powerful information to see with enough data, what kind of conditions respond well and what kind of conditions don't. So you're not, you know, selling a false bill of goods to somebody and saying, Hey, I don't care what you have. If you can pay for it, we can do that procedure and you're going to do great. Cause that's not likely true. Um, so, you know, having more, uh, having more data is going to help you to, to give better recommendations for patients and have patients be, be better consumers and not, uh, not feel like they're you know, getting ripped off for what they're getting. And over the break, you did share with us that your consultations are usually covered by insurance. Is that, uh, something that, that's accurate? Yeah, my, my, my consultations are covered by insurance. Uh, a number of physicians that practice in this space, um, 
are involved in insurance as well for those consultations, uh, but the procedures again are not. So, like I said, that, that can range in cost. Um, you know, there are I, I do see patients occasionally that are actually part of a, uh, of a corporate program where their self-insured employer has added Regenix to their procedures, uh, and it can be a covered entity for them. Yeah. One more thing is uh, who would. Uh, or who would have contraindications or what, what kind of things would, would say, you know what, I absolutely can't do this for you? Yeah, so um, there's so basically doing things like fractures, like I can't fix a fracture with an injection. Um, you know, end-stage arthritis, especially in the hip, tends to not do as well. Um, someone with active cancer, uh, we don't want to be doing any kind of cellular treatments on. Um, you know, large rotator cuff tears where there's a big gap between the ends of the tendons. There's, there's no injection that's going to pull those, those issues back together. So, um, you know, there, there are some cases, cases where I, there's no chance for me to be able to help somebody, and I, I, I tell them that when they do. Uh, but fortunately, most patients are, are a candidate. It's just about how good of a candidate are they. Great. And is there any age restriction? Is somebody too young? No. So stick with us here on the Healthcare Corner as we continue with Dr. Darrington. There's more healthcare information that you can use to keep you and your loved ones feeling safer when Healthcare Corner returns on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back to Healthcare Corner, keeping you informed about what's going on in the healthcare industry. Get your healthcare questions answered by sending an email to info at hcshow.net. That's info at hcshow.net. Now, here's Gavin, Edward, and Dr. Castillo for Healthcare Corner. Uh, welcome back, everybody, to the Healthcare Corner. Here talking with Dr. Darrington. And, uh, you know, we've been having a great conversation so far. Um, I actually had a question that I wanted to ask, and that was uh, I wanted to let Dr. Darrington know I have uh, a diagnosis based on a uh, x ray that I had severe arthritis in my left hip and moderate in my right. So I wanted to just get a feel of, you know, how you, when you hear those things and you get a referral, how do you deal with them from the beginning to, uh, not the end, but uh, as far as it, how uh, will it finish? Sure. So um, you know, first of all, I, I want to make my own diagnosis and do my own evaluation. I'll be referencing uh, all outside, you know, studies and, and information that's relevant, um, but I try to not take the referring word um, as the absolute thing that's going on. So there may be other things go, uh, contributing to that. Uh, a lot of times people have back issues that are in combination with hip and or knee or even all the way down the chain into the foot. Um, you know, but the, you know, the evaluation really starts from just a really good conversation about what their symptoms are and where they feel things. And that can help to determine, is that hip arthritis actually symptomatic or is it just something that shows up on the pictures, but it's actually a back problem that is giving you this quote unquote hip pain. Um, assuming that's true though, then we, um, you know, make sure we have the appropriate imaging. Uh, and if the evaluation fits with that imaging and the story, then we've got a pretty, you know, confident, uh, uh, we have a lot of confidence that that's actually what the, the issue is. So, um, you know, I kind of mentioned, I think before that, you know, hip arthritis tends to not do as well, uh, with these kind of treatments compared to knee arthritis. Uh, which is something that through registry data and just you know, more, more research that's out there, we're, we're learning and, and finding out you know, how maybe we need to treat that a little bit differently, or maybe that's just something that does need to go to orthopedic surgery and something that you know, even the best orthobiologic in the world uh, you know, can't fix. Do we know why that is? I, I know in medicine, I remember being taught that you know, the blood supply in the hip joint specifically is just a, a bit frail and is, isn't always sufficient to really promote that healing that we need. I mean, do you think that's the issue? I, I think that might be. Um, you know, one is just surface area. You know, the shape of those joints are very different. Um, there's been some analysis of the actual number of stem cells naturally in the, the joint fluid in each area. Uh, and the hip has, especially with hip arthritis, has a lot less than uh, than the knee does. Uh, so there's multiple factors, and I think we're still really figuring out exactly what those are. Um, but right now that we know that that's one, one thing that can be a little bit difficult to treat with this, uh, with this area of medicine um, when, when most other areas really do do well. So a patient like Ed who's kind of restricted from that hip pain, especially when he's you know, trying to play his best golf and things like this, is this something you would then treat or, or no? Because they're, they don't react so poorly or they don't respond so, so great. Would you still go ahead and recommend a treatment? You know, that's one of the things where, where this 
uh, with this not being covered by insurance, um, you know, you have to be transparent with patients. You have to let them really understand what their what their expectations are. Uh, and that's where some of that candidacy from the registry and just from our experience comes into play. Uh, and if a patient wants to avoid surgery at all costs when they don't like the option because of whatever reason, uh, it may be an option. But but oftentimes, as depending on the specifics of the of the condition, uh, it, it may be something where it's not even worth looking into. So I think that brings up a great point that we were talking about uh, over the break about kind of two pathways that the patients have: the traditional pathway of surgery and therapy and, and management of the pain, and then a, a new pathway. And so maybe for those uh, living with arthritis, maybe we could talk about those pathways. Sure. So the, you know, the, the traditional insurance-based pathway to, to deal with uh, really almost any ache and pain in the body uh, is to first just rest and do nothing and avoid getting any kind of diagnostics, which can be appropriate for cost-saving factors. And a lot of patients do get better over a relatively short amount of time um, you know, with that uh, change. Um, but you know, when, when rest and when physical therapy uh, is not helpful, uh, commonly steroid injections are what's being recommended. And that's something that's for most uh, body areas covered by insurance. Um, and typically you'll just repeat those injections as, you know, as often as is needed within reason uh, and basically until they stop working. Uh, now steroids can do a powerful job of reducing pain and allowing you to get back to doing something quickly, uh, but they tend to not last very long. Uh, so they tend to be uh, tend to need to be repeated. Um, now, one of the things that gets overlooked a lot of times is the toxicity of steroid injections. Um, so if you were to inject steroid in or even around a tendon, uh, that can weaken that tendon and make it more prone to tear. Uh, it, they're also chondrotoxic, basically meaning that they are harmful to the cartilage cells uh, in our joints. So if someone has knee arthritis and is looking for some pain relief and they get a steroid shot in their knee, they might feel better for a while. They might be one of the lucky ones that gets better for multiple years, but it's still not doing anything positive to the cartilage and oftentimes speeding up the process of arthritis. So this is one of the things we bring up here all the time is, you know, traditional medicine, they taught me, they taught us how to treat symptoms, mm -hmm. not really go under the underlying cause, right? To go after the root cause of what's happening there. And I mean, I think maybe that's, is that one of the biggest differences between what you offer and what traditional medicine offers? I, I think so. I, you know, I'm, I'm not limited by an algorithm that the insurance company dictates that I have to go down. So I can make a more thoughtful approach that, you know, oftentimes uh, involves some kind of physical therapy, usually formal physical therapy, and really with high quality therapists that are spending time with the, with the person and not giving them a cookie cutter, uh, you know, rehab protocol and, and basically handing them a sheet of paper and then coming back in a half an hour after they've had their heat and, and, uh, and stem put on them. Um, you know, so I'm able to put that together with basically helping them to move better and get stronger through physical therapy, uh, having these discussions about diet uh, and, with, um, and with weight management, and, and then incorporating potentially some kind of orthobiologic with that, depending on how those other factors are, are able to help their situation. Yeah. So say now for a patient like Ed, so instead of his hips, now it's his knees. So say he has severe arthritis on one and, and moderate on the other, mm -hmm. you know, how would you proceed? Uh, which procedures would, you know, would you, or which one of these orthobiologists would you recommend? And then what kind of expectations would a patient like that have of, in terms of recovery? Mm -hmm. So, um, so, so knee arthritis is one area that, that does tend to do well in, in most situations. Um, this is something that as it gets to be more advanced, tends to benefit more from something like bone marrow or the adipose procedures, uh, PRP just tends to not be as effective as things get to be more advanced. Um, but um, you know, we've been collecting registry data. We've actually published through Regenix a randomized controlled trial comparing our stem cell procedure, our bone marrow procedure, uh, to physical therapy uh, with significant improvements in pain and function um, showing out two years compared to uh, the standard of care of physical therapy. Uh, there's actually a very well uh, published, uh, probably the most published in this uh, space of bone marrow treatments orthopedic surgeon in France uh, who's done a, a really extensive follow-up on patients. Uh, they had bilateral knee arthritis, so basically arthritis in both of their knees. It was similar um, on both sides. And on one knee, they got a knee replacement, and another knee, they got a bone marrow treatment. And the, um, the complication rates were not surprisingly much lower for the bone marrow treatments. Um, the need for surgery was less, uh, so basically knee replacement needed to get in a follow-up procedure versus bone marrow having to go to a surgical procedure. Uh, that was much different. Uh, and, and most patients preferred that the, uh, the cellular therapy that they received compared to the knee replacement. So, um, you know, there's, 
you know, there is that, um, you know, th- that data that we have that we know that it can be helpful to at least prolong uh, uh, the, the need for replacement surgery. Um, you know, and, and this study is following patients for an average of 12 years. Um, so this is not just, you know, short band-aids where you're just kind of giving them a year or two. Uh, but this is also done at a very, very high level uh, and not what, um, you know, n- not what is, is offered kind of um, by everybody. So earlier on in the uh, show, we talked a little bit about um, maybe risk factors of the quality uh, due to the differences maybe between FDA cleared versus FDA approved types types of things. And, and when you're using your own cells or it's coming from your body, um, how, how uh, those platelets and cells can be manipulated. Um, but the Regenix process I thought was interesting when I was researching about it. They have three different uh, phases of that process to really tailor each uh, treatment specific to the patient. Um, I know we have just a couple minutes left in the segment, but would you be able to review those with our, our listeners? Yeah. So the, the, the way that Regenix has done their, uh, their bone marrow quote stem cell procedures uh, for, for a number of years has actually had those three steps. Like you mentioned, I, I did briefly bring up prolotherapy initially, and that's typically the first step for that procedure. Uh, can be used to strengthen and tighten loose ligaments and tendons and just biomechanically when things are, are degenerated and, arth- and arthritic. Uh, some of that connective tissue that holds that joint together isn't functioning like it's supposed to. Uh, it's also injected into the joint to create some inflammation and kind of get that environment ready for that next step. So we oftentimes will use a farming analogy where we're tilling the soil in that first step. The following uh, procedure would be that bone marrow procedure. Uh, and you can kind of liken that to adding seeds to, uh, to that tilled soil. Uh, and you're adding some of those, uh, you know, those, those uh, cellular components that can uh, can exert that different uh, that that change to to lead to functional and pain uh, improvements. Um, now that third step is actually an additional PRP injection. Uh, so basically, using those growth factors and using that stimulus that the platelets can do uh, to to augment that that stem cell procedure from uh, the visit before. Excellent. Thank you so much for breaking that down. And I think as we wrap up the show in the next segment, we'll uh, get specifics from Dr. Darrington. So if you're liking what you're hearing, you'll know where to visit him uh, on his website and, and, and how to get a hold of him. Um, and so uh, the other things I think that we want to uh, talk about before wrapping up uh, this segment um, are, I, I guess, you know, are there any other root causes? I, I love how we've talked about uh, all of uh, Guillermo's tenets, right, of, of proactive care and root cause as opposed to um, re- really just, uh, you know, outliers and taking care of, of uh, a symptom symptom, symptom management, management, right? Yeah. So so anything else that we should bring up, Guillermo, before we wrap up the segment? No, I mean, I think we've covered pretty much everything. The only thing that you brought up that hasn't been covered is, you know, was FDA approved versus FDA compliant, compliant. Right. So maybe you can just finish off by telling us the difference there. Yeah. So, I mean, understand the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, that's, those are the things that they, that they regulate. Um, so when we're using things from your body, autologous things from your body and minimally manipulating them, uh, that's not considered a drug. It's not uh, even up for FDA approval. It's FDA compliant within what they're allowing you to do to uh, those different tissues. Um, so being able to, to process the way that I do is covered by, uh, the state, state of California medical board, uh, license and, uh, and I'm able to do the things that I can under that, uh, guideline. So without the oversight of the FDA, as long as I'm not doing too much to any of those tissues. Wonderful. Thank you for that, Dr. Darrington. Ed, how can people get a hold of us? Well, most importantly, uh, it's, uh, you can email us at info at hcshow.net. And they can visit our website at www.hcshow.net. And if they want to call and uh, speak to uh, or uh, maybe even leave a text for uh, Dr. Castillo or even maybe uh, Dr. Darrington, uh, 760-237-8071. Stick with us as we wrap up with Dr. Darrington. There's more healthcare information that you can use to keep you and your loved ones feeling safer when Healthcare Corner returns on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back to Healthcare Corner, keeping you informed about what's going on in the healthcare industry. Get your healthcare questions answered by sending an email to info at hcshow.net. That's info at hcshow.net. 
Now, here's Gavin, Edward, and Dr. Castillo for Healthcare Corner. Welcome back to the Healthcare Corner. And as always, this is the fastest hour of the week for us here at the Healthcare Corner. Uh, time just flies when we're having fun, and we appreciate all that Dr. Darrington has shared with us and, and our, our listeners. And uh, really, I wanted to take just a quick uh, 30 seconds to thank our sponsors. And um, you know, this segment of the show is actually um, by our good friends at Cavalier Consulting, brought to you by Cavalier Consulting. And they are a premier healthcare consulting agency that connects healthcare experts and services. And so for healthcare professionals out there, by staying connected, they are able to really create continuity of care that works. And so we're grateful for them as a sponsor of the show. And you can find them at CavalierConnectsU.com, and that will be linked on our website. And so um, back with Dr. Darrington, uh, so much to kind of uh, encapsulate and put back together. And so typically, Guillermo, we love to kind of give examples and pearls of wisdom for our, our audience. But what other things should we wrap up in this final section? I think you uh, started the the show today with a great question is, uh, can we fix arthritis, right? And when we say arthritis, we're talking about specifically osteoarthritis. So degenerative joint disease of whatever joints. And, you know, we're talking about most typically the knees, but it could happen in any joint, right, Dr. Mm -hmm. Darrington? So maybe you can get, give us through, take us through what arthritis is, osteoarthritis is, how does it progress, and, and can you fix it? Sure. So... Uh, yeah, osteoarthritis most commonly in the knees, but can be in the thumbs, can be in the shoulder, can be in the hips, uh, really almost anywhere in the body. Um, and it, it's basically, you know, the itis ending implies inflammation. So it's an inflammatory process um, that leads to degeneration of the cartilage. That's one of the hallmarks of it. Uh, oftentimes you'll develop bone spurs uh, due to the, some of the instability, some of that stability I was talking about uh, that the prolotherapy can address. Um, but it basically leads to, to pain and thinning down of the cartilage uh, over time, and uh, that leads to joint uh, immobility, stiffness, pain, and functional limitations. Um, so, you know, best way to address this is to address it early as much as possible. Uh, as we were talking about earlier, lifestyle is really, really important. Um, just lowering overall inflammation, uh, not from everything you put into the body and then also how you use your body, um, that's going to be really important. Um, you know, but I get asked all the time, can I, can I cure their arthritis? And, you know, kind of depends on what you mean by cure. Um, you know, if you're talking about just the true definition to relieve a person of the symptoms of a disease or a condition, I can cure it. Uh, I can't regrow their, their cartilage. I can't grow them a brand new meniscus. Um, so I can't fix it per se to have it look like the joint might've looked 20 years ago. Um, but you know, I've, I've got a number of patients. I actually just emailed with, uh, someone, um, over the weekend, uh, she's two years out from uh, from a uh, bone marrow procedure on both of her knees. Uh, she had an extensive history of several knee surgeries. She had both ACLs replaced on, on each knee, uh, and, and she was limited doing much of anything uh, prior to to my treatment. Uh, and now she uh, goes biking with her husband. She plays tennis almost every week. Uh, actually, she's almost every day, uh, and she's uh, you know she's doing great. So so did I cure her? Did I fix her? You know, symptomatically and functionally, yes. Um, so I think that's you know. Yeah, no, I, th I think you answered it very well, you know, and uh, you brought up a great point that we forgot we didn't cover earlier is if somebody's already had joint replacement, are they still a candidate for some of these procedures? Uh, it, it depends. So, uh, you know, patients can have uh, persistent symptoms after a joint replacement um, and, and depending on what that's coming from. Um, I've actually had a, a friend of mine who sent his mother-in-law to my uh, fellowship director uh, she had a joint replacement and was having uh, cons persistent pain issues afterwards. He was able to identify it was the quad tendon that was the problem. So he treated the quad tendon with with PRP. Uh, didn't couldn't do anything on the inside of the knee because that was all replaced and that was metallic now. But there's still soft tissues that can be irritated uh, afterwards. So it's possible. But uh, when you've had uh, when you've had joint replacement surgery, when you've had fusion surgery, there's just less of that that um, original um, structure that's there. So there's fewer things that I could treat, but there's still possibilities. That's great. You also brought up something that I, I think is, you know, very important. I think maybe we've never mentioned before, but, you know, I'm sure you've heard it too. And you guys always say, I think Ed told me once, you know, my, my, my hip joint is, is just bone on bone. So I think people use bone on bone and, and they are talking specifically about osteoarthritis, but you actually delineated why that happens very clearly. So osteoarthritis is the degeneration of those of the what's in the joint, right? So the ligaments and tendons and actually some fluid loss too, right? Because there's all that synovial fluid usually in there. So they lose some of that as well. So you can replace that synovial fluid. You can prevent the degeneration of those of those uh, of those tendons and those uh, those ligaments that keep that joint in place. 
And this is exactly what your therapy does, right? Is help regenerate some of that connective tissue by causing some a little bit of inflammation and maybe a little bit of regeneration. But you know, when it comes to us, we always say we want to be as proactive as possible. You know, what are the things? So, what are the things we can do? Or maybe you can tell us what are the things that we can do. Maybe as early as possible. I mean, you should start when you're a kid. But what are the things you can do to prevent? the progression of osteoarthritis, because we will all eventually get osteoarthritis, right? No matter what we do, if we're living and we're moving and we're actually out there maximizing, you know, the what the world offers, you should get osteoarthritis eventually in time. So how can we prevent or delay the progression of it? Well, it, it's definitely a common condition a lot of people suffer from. Um, some, as you mentioned before, you know, have a more genetic predisposition to it and may never have any injuries to their body and still develop really bad arthritis. Um, but it's something that typically with, 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 with age and with just overuse, uh, you know, can progress. So, um, you know, trying to be smart with how you move and moving well, you know, that's part of where good physical therapy, um, good, uh, you know, just exercising and stretching and mobility can be very helpful. Uh, you know, putting, uh, putting good food into your body. So, you know, part of that's going to help you maintain your weight, but also, uh, less inflammatory, less processed kind of foods. Uh, you know, and that might include even supplementation with, you know, good quality supplements from anything from fish oil and turmeric to glucosamine, chondroitin. There's all sorts of, you know, joint health supplements, resveratrol, hyaluronic acid, MSM. There's, you know, the laundry list of things. Uh, but basically doing things to your body to reduce inflammation uh, and, and to keep you moving as much as possible. You know, those are things that we should be doing as part of just a normal lifestyle. Uh, and ideally, uh, they don't end up coming to see me in 20 years. There was something that you brought up, Dr. Darrington, um, in preparation for the show that I thought would be very interesting. I know we're running out of time, and this has been just such an engaging hour. We'll probably need to have you back on uh, in the future to continue uh, this great topic. But, um, you know, you talked about tracking patient outcomes, and the data is so important. And so is it based off, say, sports or age, or or what kind of outcomes are you looking at? Is there some kind of registry or or could you enlighten us on, on how we're tracking to improve uh, orthobiologics? Sure. So that's a great question. There, you know, Regenix has the, 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 the longest standing, I think, the most patients uh, in a registry uh, in the country and maybe even in the world. Um, so Dr. Centeno and Dr. Schultz, who started Regenix uh, years ago, had the foresight to start collecting data on patients from the beginning. So everything from pain uh, changes uh, to looking at very, uh, various functional questionnaires, depending on the body area being treated, uh, and seeing how patients do differently uh, over time, uh, and that's really only uh, only possible from from an organized registry, which is uh, is very difficult to maintain. Patients, whether they're doing good or bad, just don't want to keep responding after a while. Um, so maintaining a good number is, is is very challenging, and they've done a great job of that. So um, you know that's that's something that's very powerful. That you know, in addition to you know organized, structured um, you know research studies. Uh, that registry just helps expand the number of patients um, that we can we can gather data on and can give expectations on. So, uh, Regenix has a really large one. There is uh, is another one uh, called Data Biologics that has uh, been put together by some excellent physicians around the country, uh, and that's a growing network uh, for basically anyone who's not in Regenix, uh, where they can input that data and you talk about you know whatever treatments going on. You put different demographics in, uh, and it just gives us more information. Wonderful. Well, I uh, want to make sure that our listeners know how to get in touch with you. And so if they're on Instagram or Facebook, they can reach you at SoCal Stem Cell Doc and uh, DarringtonOrtho.com. But how else can they reach you? And then once you've kind of shared your information, I know that uh, you're here in Southern California, but if somebody uh, that's listening to the show from Ohio or Tennessee uh, listens, maybe you could help them with um, how to find someone near them. Sure. So yeah, other ways to get a hold of me, I, I respond to uh, you know to Instagram and Facebook messages. Um, you know, you can go ahead and message me there. Uh, you can email my office at info at darringtonortho.com uh, or call the office 760-721-4000. Uh, extension one will get you in contact with Melanie, who can help you get set up for a consultation with me. Um, and uh, yeah, anyone that wants to fly across the country and see me would love to love to see you. I've actually had that happen several times uh, from uh, you know friends and family of, of patients that I've seen before. Um, but you know, a good way to find out someone who is doing this at a high level uh, on the Regenex website. There's a as a network of physicians. There's 60 plus physicians across the country that are doing this kind of work. Uh, so going to the website and finding a doctor near them uh, is a really good way to do it. Uh, one of the premier organizations that, uh, Gavin, you were mentioning at the beginning that I teach for called the Interventional Orthobiologic Foundation. Um, that, um, that's a great resource. I, I direct physicians who are interested in this field and don't know much about it yet. 
get involved there. Uh, but they, there's a registry of, uh, or there's, there's a network of uh, physicians that are part of that organization, which at least says that they're being forward thinking and they're, you know, trying to pay attention to the the research that's out there and trying to pay attention to how they, how to do these procedures. Because part of what we do with that organization is is teach. Uh, I, I teach other physicians who are learning how to do these because it's not just simple joint injections. It's not just uh, you know standard epidural steroid injections. It's a very different approach, uh, and it requires some extra training. Excellent. Thank you so much for that. And uh, unfortunately, we've come to the end of the show. Guillermo, how how would you want to take us out? You know, I think today we covered such an interesting topic, and I think it's something that really affects so many people. And uh, as a, I know as a primary care doctor, I, I underestimate the, the consequences of arthritis. I mean, I myself deal with it all the time with joint pain. And as we said, I mean, it's important for our listeners to know that this is something that starts probably very early in age. And as we go along, the important thing is to do all those things that Dr. Darrington suggested. You know, take care of yourself, move as much as you can, manage your weight, eat right, sleep right. Uh, take care of your overall health so that you can prevent all disease, but more importantly, you know, functionality and being able to really move and enjoy life even late into your years is so important so that we can really enjoy our family and, and really make the most of what the world has to offer. But it's really important that even as you age and you realize that, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm suffering, I'm, my quality of life is suffering, there's other alternatives. It doesn't always have to be surgery, right? So knowing when to see Dr. Darrington or somebody just like him is more important than not knowing, you know, that there's other things out there, that there's other possibilities. So take care of yourselves. Remember, we're always here for you. And uh, there's no bad questions. You know, be as good to yourself as you are to your children and your loved ones. And I think everything will work out well. Wonderful. Thanks so much for being on the show with us, Dr. Darrington. Thanks for having me. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for joining us for Healthcare Corner, where your healthcare and safety are always top of mind. Tune in next week at this same time for more of the most relevant topics that can help you and your loved ones feel safer and more informed about what's going on in healthcare. To learn more about Gavin, Edward, and Dr. Castillo, or how to become a guest or sponsor of the show, send an email to info at hcshow.net. That's info at hcshow.net. This has been Healthcare Corner on The Answer San Diego.